Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Uncensored Empath, a place for us to discuss highly sensitive energy, illness, healing, and transformation. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a life and success coach for empaths who want to create a thriving body, business, and life. Think of this podcast as your no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship. You'll get straight to the point, totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing and growth journey right beside you. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a solo episode. It has been a while since it's just been me here talking to you. Before I jump into today's storytelling and sharing, I just want to put a little trigger warning right here, which is that if for any reason it is too much for you to discuss or or hear about miscarriage or abortion, then this episode on pregnancy loss is likely not for you, and I encourage you to skip right on over it. If you're here for my raw, open vulnerability, then welcome. You may already know that my husband and I recently lost a pregnancy, And it's something I've been really open about on social media, but I really haven't discussed on the podcast yet. And in many ways, I think the reason I haven't discussed it on the podcast, at least not directly, is because this is one of the most direct ways of communicating with all of you. And it feels the most vulnerable for me. So while posting about it and having all my words thought out was one thing. It's a whole nother thing to just be speaking from my heart without notes, without a plan, and just to really share my heart with you. 
But today I thought, I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about this. And my my hope, my intention of sharing this is that even if you haven't experienced this in your life, that you may know somebody and the likelihood that you know someone is very, very high. I'll share that statistic at the end. That you might even just send this episode to them to let them know that they are not alone. I can't even tell you how many hundreds, literally hundreds of women I've heard from since coming out about my miscarriage journey. I was shocked. And at the same time, not. (laughs) Because I know it's taboo. Our culture has, in many ways and forms, made it taboo to talk about this. Yet here I am, you know, a couple months ago, living this experience and going, why the fuck do I feel like I can't talk about this? This doesn't feel fair. Where do these rules come from that we're not allowed to talk about something that is, that happens in one in four women? And yet, I'm supposed to stay silent about it? I'm, I'm supposed to make people feel comfortable by not talking about it. God forbid I make them feel uncomfortable or share what it's really like to go through a miscarriage. So I'm saying fuck the rules, fuck the standards, and we're talking about it today. So Andrew and I got married in October, and we knew that pretty soon after that we would be ready to start a family. We've been together a while now. <laughs> it's a little complicated, <laughs> but about about five-ish years we've been together. That's an episode for another day. And we decided, and well, actually what happened was I got mold illness in December, early January. And so that slowed us down because I went through a whole mold illness detox. We had our home looked at. We did a lot of things to get rid of mold, mostly mold in my body. Actually, it was mycotoxins, not mold spores in my body. So after a couple months of mold detox, I thought, okay, it's time. My body is a healthy vessel. I have invested so much the past three years in releasing toxins and balancing hormones and Now I have this man that I am so excited to make a baby with. And around late March, April, we started trying. And by May, we found out we were pregnant. And I actually posted a little clip of this on my Instagram if you guys want to go look at it. It's interesting because I shared it and it was the day we found out we were pregnant. And then when I rewatched the video, both the clip and then the, like, the full thing I haven't shared, but there's a full longer video that I have on my phone. And when I watch that video, I actually still get really excited. It makes me really happy because that moment was pure joy. Andrew has said differently. He said when he watches it, it makes him really sad. But for whatever reason, to me, like, there's such a pure, authentic joy in that moment that I can still watch it and I can actually still feel the joy that was present. I I can feel really happy, even though obviously 
the thought of what was to come also comes up. So it was early in the morning and it was Andrew's day off and we decided we were going to go get him a coffee at the local coffee shop. And I usually just ride along, (laughs) ride along for some support, (laughs) for some connection. And I got up and I knew that it was about time to see if, if, uh, when we were trying to get pregnant, that the test would maybe show up positive. And I thought it's still pretty early, but you know, whatever those like clear blue pregnancy tests say, they say, you know, five days early. And I'm like, well, it's pretty much five days before my period is supposed to come. So I'm going to take the test and just see. And sure enough, I got a positive. It was a digital test. So actually it just said pregnant. And I had been planning this for several months, actually. I had my assistant go onto her Amazon account and order this little baby onesie that says Daddy's Pit Crew. And my husband loves Formula One racing. So I thought, okay, he obviously knows we're trying to get pregnant, but I still want it to be like a really fun surprise when we do get pregnant to be able to share this with him. And so I had that little onesie and for months, my husband had been pointing at my belly and saying, baby in there, baby in there, baby in there. At times it was annoying, <laughs> but it was also very sweet because we were just so excited about maybe there is a baby in there. I don't know. So that morning I found the test. I took the test and I saw on it that I was pregnant and my, I just, my whole body started trembling and shaking. I was just so excited, but also so nervous And I took my eyeliner and in the mirror, like wrote backwards on my stomach, baby in here. And my husband was in the other room. So I shouted for him and I was like, babe, there's some weird thing on my skin. Come look at it, which is a total normal thing for me, for me to do. So he came coming, he came into the bathroom where I had my phone set up and recording and I lifted up my shirt to my stomach so he could see my stomach and, you know, with the him thinking he's going to look at some like mole on my stomach and I had the words baby in here written and he, he was in shock. You can see it in the video. He is in complete shock, which is kind of surprising because we knew we were trying to get pregnant and we knew it was very likely that we were pregnant and still he was super super shocked and then we called our friends and we called our family uh not any more than maybe like 10 people but we told everyone we were just so fucking excited and we celebrated and we cried and we were in disbelief and that day is still one that makes me really happy there was a pure just unadulterated joy in that moment and then I call and I'm like, what the hell do you do? What do you do when you have a pregnancy, a positive pregnancy test? I don't know. Or are you supposed to go to the doctor? <laughs> like, and so I, I called uh, local midwives and they're like, nope, just come in eight to 10 weeks for your first ultrasound. See you then. Bye. I was like, oh, this is scary. <laughs> That's in two months. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> and I started to get comfortable with the idea of waiting and pausing and 
okay, two months, we can finally see the baby. Two months, two months, I can do this. I can wait. I can be in the unknown. I can be in the uncertainty. Even though the world feels like a shit show right now, I'll let more uncertainty come into my life. Okay, universe, I see you challenging me here. But by, it was around June 3rd, my intuition just really started saying something's not right. Something's not right. And I went in to the midwives. I said, I would like to schedule an appointment. And they're like, okay, fine, whatever, lady. So they let me come in and they're like, why are you here? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I just, I can I have some blood work? I just, there's a feeling. And they're like, is this happening? I'm like, no, no, everything's good. I just feel like I want some blood work. So of course they're like, okay, lady, <laughs> here's your blood work. Go take it to the the hospital and go get your blood drawn and we'll see what happens. And when I got that result back, uh, my progesterone levels were quite low. And also my pregnancy hormone level was also very low, lower than they anticipated. So that raised some red flags, but nothing to be super freaked out about. They just said, let's do more lab work, more blood work. So I went in again and again. and you want to see a a doubling. I now I can't remember. I think it's a doubling within 48 hours. I'm pretty sure that's what it is of your uh, pregnancy hormone levels. My levels did not double. So it was the weekend and that's when I started to have pain. This pain is unlike anything I can I thought I could ever describe. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced. It was completely different than a period cramp. And the way I described it to the midwife was it feels like someone stuck up a giant Lego into my vagina and it's stuck. It has embedded itself. And so I ended up calling the emergency line on Saturday because they were off duty. And I just was like, something, I just what the hell is happening? And she said, you know, you can come in or you can wait till Monday. We'll do one more blood draw. So I thought, okay, I can, this is, it wasn't like, it wasn't excruciating. It was just really uncomfortable. And there was also just sitting in this massive fear around, we're pretty damn sure this is not a viable pregnancy, but I still have to wait to like actually see. I remember when we got that phone call, I was sitting on the stairs and I put the midwife on speakerphone and Andrew was next to me and you could just tell, you could tell by the, by the tone of her voice. I mean, bless her for, for being kind and compassionate, but you could tell the second she started talking and those words came out of her mouth and she said, this is no longer a viable pregnancy. And it's a gut punch. It hurts so fucking bad. It feels so unfair because something that you already started dreaming and planning for that you're so excited about, that you already love, all of a sudden is just ripped away. And it's so different because it's inside of you as a woman. And yet there's nothing you can really do in that moment. It's still inside of you. So by Monday, they confirmed this is no longer a viable pregnancy. 
But what my lab results also showed that was that it was likely a tubal pregnancy where the embryo gets stuck in your fallopian tube. So we have, we have two, the right one and the left one. And they asked me to come in and on the phone they said, we need you to come in right now. This is probably a tubal pregnancy. The options that I had been literally like thinking of constantly the past 48 hours over the weekend, which were, do I get, do I let this pass naturally? I messaged my nutritionist who I was just kind of keeping up to date on everything. And I remember telling him, I can't do this. I know how anal crazy I am about doing everything naturally in every area of my life. I can't let this pass naturally. My mental health, I, I cannot do it. This is way too hard to have inside my body. So I had kind of, I had crossed that one off. The other two options were going to be a pill that you take that causes causes miscarriage or to get a, a dnc which is a, a surgery and i had just kind of decided that i i this is so emotionally heavy i need to get a dnc this is that's the path i'm gonna go so when monday rolled around and they're like you need to come in now it's tubal those all those options just got completely cleared off the table and the options instead became a chemotherapy drug that is an injected into your butt or a surgery through your belly button and into your fallopian tube, which usually uh, results in the loss of the entire fallopian tube. So I woke my husband up because he often sleeps during the day because he works at night. And I said, we got to go. You got to take me to the hospital. Went to the hospital. And on the way there, I was just going back and forth in my head, like, what do I do? 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 Because there's risks. There's risk of if you don't uh, have something done right away that your tube can burst. And this is when I realized that there are different types of miscarriage and that a tubal or ectopic pregnancy that results in miscarriage is while equally heartbreaking much different physically much different physically in the way that you treat it and the way that you manage so i'm floating these ideas back in my head in my back of my head i'm like i there's no fucking way i'm gonna go under general anesthesia and get surgery right now that feels so invasive i do not want to lose a fallopian tube so i opted for the chemotherapy which is also something that was very uncomfortable for me very uncomfortable. I I honestly I hated the idea of putting that drug in my body because it suppresses your immune system. It completely depletes you in your folate levels, your B vitamins. And there's side effects of that. It takes a while to to detox it from your body afterwards. That was the other thing to consider is that 
you have to wait. Well, it's recommended that you wait three months after uh, your pregnancy hormone levels go down to zero before you start trying to get pregnant again. Not all doctors say that. Some doctors say you can try after your next period. Me, <laughs> being the one who looks into everything and is just really aware of how that might affect my body, I was like, okay, so basically I'm going to either wait three months or if I get the surgery, maybe I could start trying sooner. So anyways, we decided to go with the chemotherapy I got the injections, but before I did, I stood up for myself because the, I didn't like the doctor, the OBGYN. I didn't like her and it, I, she wasn't even going to see me. It was just going to be the, the chat we had over the phone. I was going to walk in. Some nurse was going to inject me in my butt and it was going to be okay, bye. And when I got there, I said, I actually would really like an ultrasound, please. And they're like, why? I'm like, this is a big deal to me and I don't feel comfortable getting these injections unless I'm able to see what's happening inside my body and someone can help confirm what like what's really going on. And so they were considerate of that and they obviously it was a whole nother charge on my bill, but they allowed me to get an ultrasound right then and there because the ultrasound tech was still in the office. I went in. They did the ultrasound and they confirmed that the embryo was not in the uterus. And while they couldn't see it in a fallopian tube, it was highly likely that that's where it was. It just wasn't large enough to really be seen on an ultrasound yet. That gave me a lot of peace of mind, a lot of peace of mind. And then I left that room and went back into the room and I said, OK, now you can inject my butt. Now I feel like I can... I can be okay with this decision because I know I only have two choices and I hate both of them, but at least I can feel better about do like taking this option and then the aftermath that comes. So I got that injection and like it just wipes you out. You you become so tired because we get energy from B vitamins and it is intentionally depleting your body of them. So you get so tired. Obviously there's an immense grief. And then there's a waiting, another fucking waiting period. I thought, okay, they inject me by, I don't know, maybe tonight I'll start, I'll actually start miscarrying and I'll start to see some of the the blood. Nope. Maybe the next day. <laughs> nope. So then I started asking, you know, questions in my head. I thought, this is weird. I, I really thought this would happen right away. So I started going on to Mr. Google. And I realized that oftentimes women don't start to miscarry until three, three days after. So I thought, okay, now I know this is all normal. We're, everything's okay. And you go in for blood work at four days after and seven days after. So I went in to my four day blood work. I still hadn't started miscarrying and my pregnancy horm hormone levels had gone up quite a bit up. And these thoughts go into your mind of like, wait, I'm still like super pregnant. What the hell is going on? Was this even the right decision? And then I Google again and I realize it's normal for your levels to actually rise on day four before they fall on day seven. Okay, this is everything's good. I mean, the amount of uncertainty and unknown and just like questioning during this period was insane. 
after that, it was day day six, I believe, day six that I finally started to miscarry. So on day seven, I went to get blood work and my numbers had finally dropped. They'd actually plummeted way lower than you would normally see. So even though I had increased, then it had plummeted down. And that made a lot of sense to me. It was it was confirming, validating for me because this was a Monday that I got day seven blood work. And over the weekend, once again, I had to call the emergency line and be like, I feel like I'm dying. I've never had such crazy anxiety. And I just couldn't figure out like what was creating so much anxiety. And I realized finally on Monday that it was this like drastic change in your hormones in such a short period of time that it just had me feeling super crazy. So day seven comes around post-injection and it's confirmed that it's working and then you just, you go home and you just, you go through miscarriage and it sucks. And for many women, it's traumatizing. It's, it can be very traumatizing. I, I don't feel I had too much of a traumatizing experiment experience, but it's still, it's still not easy, right? Like it's still not easy. From there, you go every one week after to make sure that your numbers continue, continue to drop until they get below a five. I mean, essentially you want a zero, but anything below of a five, you don't have to keep going back in for weekly blood work and you're good to go. And for me, that, that took two weeks, took two weeks of more waiting and more not knowing for that number to finally come down. And at the time I was also anxiously anticipating the number to drop a little five because here I go, all right, I know that I have three months of detox ahead of me now. So I want to get that started as soon as possible. And I can't start detox until, and I can't start replenishing the B vitamins, the folate in my body until it's, it drops to zero. So I wait and I wait and I'm getting a lot of functional medicine advice during this time to be able to support me through it, which was super helpful and really just helped me understand more of what was going on. And, and, also, the risk uh, factors or the the common reasons why you might have a miscarriage, but also a tubal pregnancy. And what was, I mean, hopeful, but also frustrating was I didn't have any of the common like triggers for that. So uh, STIs, chlamydia is a, actually a really common reason for miscarriage endometriosis, uh, and, and like autoimmune diseases, but specifically autoimmune that affects your reproductive organs. Um, there's some other ones that I can't remember at the, at the moment, but I didn't have any of those in my health history. But the, the thing is, you can have a miscarriage for, for zero reasons. It doesn't have to make sense. You can also have an embryo that just doesn't have, is not genetically viable that your body is smart enough to know that it's not genetically viable and therefore it never fully develops and your body can signal that and that leads to miscarriage as well. 
You can also have sticky tubes. So for ectopic or tubal pregnancies, if your tubes are, quote, sticky or have a lot of inflammation, that can disrupt the embryo's travel from ovary to uterus. And that could have been the case for me. I don't know. I don't know. And knowing all that, I knew that I definitely wanted to detox and that the chemo can, the chemo is supposed to supposedly clear out of your body pretty quickly, but can be held in your kidneys for quite a long period of time. So again, knowing all this, we set up a 90-day detox, my practitioner and I, well, mostly him. I just listened and I said, yes, 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 I will do all of that. And by the time my numbers got down to zero, I started. I started that detox and I am now 35 days into my detox out of the 90 days. And it's pretty intense. It's it's like when I moved into detox, the grief storm started to dissipate a bit, but then more physical sensations and symptoms came up. So the emotions were maybe a little bit easier to deal with, but then the physical became worse before better, which is often that happens when you go through a detox. And I started taking over 30 pills a day, all, all natural supplements. I started two smoothies a day, two cups of uh, H. pylori killing matula tea a day, because we figured if we're going to detox from the chemo and we're also going to uh, support my reproductive organs and preparing for a future pregnancy, we might as well just kill all the other things that are happening like parasites and bacteria and an infection I had. Why not just go go for it? And I'm I'm an all-in kind of girl. Also, I'm still on three different tinctures that go under your tongue. So it's this pretty intense protocol, but I actually had a question on social media around how I, you know, how do you stick to that? How do you remember to take them? And for me, I am highly motivated. Every cell in my body is like, heal me, heal me, heal me, please. Help me, support me, nurture me so that I can get pregnant again. So that as a motivating factor for me, the driving factor is a no brainer. I am absolutely going to drink both my smoothies and both my teas and all three different tinctures and all 30 pills every single day. And I know that's probably like part of my anal type A personality, but I think a lot of it is I'm highly motivated because I care so deeply about being able to get pregnant in the future. And Unfortunately, when you have a miscarriage, you become then at much higher risk for a future miscarriage and another pregnancy loss and another tubal pregnancy, even if you don't know why you had it in the first place. Knowing that if I do get pregnant in the future, I will have to start getting blood work immediately after a positive pregnancy test so that they monitor me the whole time. But we'll, we will cross that road when we get there. I want to talk a little bit about the grief because the grief that came in all different forms throughout this process, it shakes you and it breaks you open to the depths of your soul that you could not imagine. And while I'm no stranger to grief, you've all heard me talk about this. It also felt like a different flavor of grief. 
grief with losing my brother Jordan and grief to losing my brother Joe also included 25 and 26 years of memories of knowing them, of having them in my life, of being able to hug them. And grief with this baby, it was never getting to meet this child, never having the opportunity for the memories, never getting to hold what I think was a baby girl. Oscar Wilde has this beautiful quote that says, where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. And I, I truly believe that grief and sorrow can crack us open in the most beautiful but heartbreaking ways. I want to read you guys something from a book that has truly changed my life. The author is Francis Weller. The book is called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, and it is one that I read after Joe died, but applies to all different types of grief. He writes, I'm an advocate for grief. I see the many ways it gifts us. While it is difficult to embrace grief and be moved by its muscular demands, without it, we would not know the heartening quality of compassion, could not experience the full breadth of love, the surprise of joy. We could not celebrate the sheer beauty of the world. Grief fosters each of these capabilities, deepening them by bringing gravity to the moment. Grief is the dark color that adds depth to the canvas, providing contrast and texture. Without these tones, our lives would be flat and uninteresting. This necessary encounter in turn enables these vital qualities to hold us in times of loss and sorrow. I am not suggesting that we live a life preoccupied with sorrow. I am saying that our refusal to welcome the sorrow that comes to us, our inability to move through these experiences with true presence and conscious awareness, condemns us to a life shadowed by grief. Welcoming everything that comes to us is a challenge, but this is the secret to being fully alive. I see this work in soul activism, a form of deep resistance to the disconnected way in which our society has conditioned us to live. Grief is subversive, undermining our society's quiet agreement that we will behave and be in control of our emotions. It is an act of protest that declares our refusal to live numb and small. There is something feral about grief something essentially outside the ordained and sanctioned behaviors of our culture. Because of that, grief is necessary to the vitality of the soul. Contrary to our fears, grief is suffused with life force. It is riddled with energy, an acknowledgement of the erotic coupling with another soul, whether human, animal, plant, or ecosystem. It is not a state of deadness or emotional flatness. Grief is alive, wild, untamed. It cannot be domesticated. It resists the demands to remain passive and still. We move in jangled, unsettled, and riotous ways when grief takes hold of us. It is truly an emotion that rises from our soul. Those words have moved me and they have 
given me the permission slip to be in a state of grief, of deep, deep fucking sorrow. (sighs) To feel. To not numb or run away from this part of my story in my life. But instead, to allow it to make me feel even more alive as a human. And I'm feeling my body slowly coming back. I feel my womb slowly beginning to heal. So much easier to talk to all of you about the logistics of everything I've been through, to talk about the protocol and the doctor's appointments and the lab work. It's so much easier to talk about miscarriage in those terms. What's so much harder is the grief. And there's so much in the aftermath of miscarriage that no one asks you about, that I don't see anyone talking about. It's not just the day you get that phone call or you walk into the doctor's office and they say, you lost your baby. It is the days, weeks, months, and even years that come after that, that you still mourn that unborn child. It is the dissociating from your body in moments of disbelief and fear and in a moment that is too intense to be fully inhabited in your body in the days and weeks and months and years after that, that you are invited to reconnect to your body and heal the womb after the trauma. It's not in and out. It doesn't just go away. The first four times I had sex with my husband once we were cleared to have sex again, it took me a while to be ready, but finally I thought, okay, I'm ready. And after those first four times, I broke down in tears. I started sobbing. Of course, Andrew's like, what's wrong? And I just said, I'm just really sad. I'm just feeling a lot of feelings right now. And it was also a form of release. Those feelings needed to come out. I mean, orgasm is a way of releasing energy. It's, it is creation energy. And so I noticed myself just breaking down afterwards. My body stopped holding in so much and just let all of that grief and sorrow out. 
And I start to feel now like some of the sorrow is subsiding. And this part is similar to losing Jordan and Joe and even our dog Bo this past September. Like, it does get a little bit easier. But does it mean you don't still have shit days? Really hard grief days? One of the things that has helped me to process all of this that I hope some of you might resonate is resonate with is a teaching, a teaching from the spiritual world. And if it doesn't resonate with you, feel free to reject it. But it's really helped me. There's this teaching in the spiritual world that a baby, a soul, really, a soul will enter your body knowing beforehand whether it'll be born or not. They may just want to spend time with you or just love you and want to be with you, even if they know it's going to be short, a short amount of time. And that also that same soul can come back around and around as many times as it may want or you may need or until you're ready. And something I have never shared on social media is, and I'm so nervous to share this. Five years ago, one month after my brother Jordan committed suicide, I got pregnant with Andrew who I had no fucking clue would end up being my husband someday. (sighs) And it was too much. It was way too much for me. My life was flipped upside down. I moved in with my best friend and her fiance in a different state. And I was drowning in grief. And I got pregnant. I was in a very unstable relationship. And I decided that it was not time to have a baby. (laughs) So I decided that the best option at that time was to get an abortion. And I still believe it was the right decision for me. And I respect all of you and your choices and your beliefs. And so we did terminate that pregnancy. The reason I'm sharing this is because I truly feel and believe that the same soul that came down for that short time to visit me, maybe to maybe to comfort me after Jordan died five years ago, it felt familiar. To me, I believe that it was the same soul that I just lost. It felt so familiar in my body. I truly believe it was a girl. (laughs) 
And when I was walking down the aisle at my wedding, my veil fell off twice. I talked to a psychic afterwards and she said, Sarah, the first time your veil fell off was Jordan coming down to help walk you down the aisle with your dad. Literally, like, <laughs> lifting the veil. The second time your veil fell off with, was your child. This is me talking to her in October before any of this would happen. <sighs> and then, after my veil fell off twice, there was this turkey feather that was so obviously out of place that my dad stopped walking me down the aisle and he said, am I supposed to pick that up? And I was like, no, no, don't, don't pick it up. We got to get, we got to get to Andrew. We're almost there. <laughs> Lots of pit stops. <sighs> and at my brother Joe's funeral, a week and a half later, we had feathers. Feathers that were very representative and important to him in the talking circle ceremonies that he would do in his healing process at the different rehab centers that he participated at. Take with you what resonates of this story. But my belief is that there was divine timing in this. And that that soul that I've experienced twice in my body, will, it will come back around again. And for some reason, I actually feel like it's not going to be the next pregnancy. I think that that soul might actually need a little break. But maybe a second one. So my husband and I are taking everything day by day right now. As I mentioned, to grieve, to me, feels to be fully alive. Your grief and your sorrow is an expression of how deep you allowed yourself to love in this life. And I hope by sharing this story that it might help some of you to have courage to share your own story if that feels right for you. I can share that in opening up about my story, it's also helped me heal deeply. And one in four women experience miscarriage. It doesn't need to be taboo anymore. It just doesn't. It's not your fault. There's no shame. It, it just, it happens sometimes. And it is okay to grieve or even celebrate the lives of the children that you never got to meet. And to create ritual or ceremony around that loss. And to consider them your spirit babies. It's also okay to have 
deep hope for a rainbow baby, the baby that comes after miscarriage. Everything you're feeling is okay. This is my attempt to just show you my humanness today. To just share my heart and all the layers that have come up since May. And to just let you know that you're not alone. And that this grief journey can also activate the most sacred parts of you. Thank you so much for tuning in and for allowing me to share and for being open to witnessing my story. I'd love to hear from you if you have any insights or aha moments or just a story that you want to share with me that you aren't ready to share with the world. My DMs are always open for you. I love you all so much inside of this Uncensored Empath podcast community. And I hope that this can be a launching pad for connecting to you even more deeply as we move into the future. Thank you so much again.